The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Sports Talk New York. I'm your host, Rob Kramer, coming at you right here on this beautiful Sunday night, November 14th, 2021. Can't believe we're this deep into the NFL season already. Baseball is past us. Football and, uh, um, you know, well into the season, like I said, basketball and hockey just getting underway. So we have a lot of things to talk about right now tonight. Uh, obviously we're going to touch on, um, you know, some Mets stuff regarding, uh, their GM search and, uh, everything that Sandy Alderson and, uh, Steve Cohen are looking for right now in a man to lead their front office and, you know, get everything going the, you know, the way that they want to. And, um, it, it's not going to plan right now. It's not, you can't exactly say that uh, Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson um, are um, having a, a fun time right now. The, the GM meetings just closed out in California. So we'll be touching on that. The Yankees did some stuff out there as well. Uh, nothing really of note, but um, you know the Yankees have their plan for the offseason laid out in front of them just as much as the Mets do. Um, now we look at the, uh, you know, we're going to touch on some football. Obviously the Jets played today. They had a really bad game losing to uh you know a, a a really good Buffalo Bills team today 45 to 17 so we'll be getting into that uh we'll be touching on the Knicks and their uh, recent struggles obviously the Knicks um started off the season very well they were 7 and 4 at one point they've dropped a couple of games just about 500 again um you know they they're working through some early struggles but uh i i think the Knicks will eventually figure it out and then of course we're going to talk uh, talk about some hockey too the uh, the Islanders off to a sluggish start. The Rangers really having an up and down early season. So we'll get into all that. But uh, I want to thank you again for tuning in here. Um, like I said, I'm your host Rob Kramer. You can follow me on Twitter at Kramer. Uh, my last name that's C R A M E R N Y New York. Um, and you can follow Sports Talk New York on Twitter as well at WGBB Sports Talk. You can check us out on Facebook. Give us a like over there. Uh, you can check us out on sportstalknewyork.com where we have all of our old shows, all of our upcoming shows and hosts listed and everything. You can check out all you want for WGBB Sports Talk right there on sportstalknewyork.com. So let's get into everything right now. Um, you know, I'm going to start with the Jets. And uh, it's just been a real, real rough go for Jets fans. Obviously, a couple weeks ago, we had the glimmer of hope uh, that came in the, the form of Mike White, this unknown quarterback, former fifth-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys in 2018, um, a guy who had been cut and re-signed, cut and re-signed, cut and re-signed multiple times to the Jets, passing through waivers where any team really had the opportunity to take him if they wanted. Um, and, you know, the the Jets held on to him. They were able to keep him on their practice squad uh, until he was elevated earlier this year with the uh, um, lack of a backup quarterback when the Jets were going with pretty much Zach Wilson and Mike White for the, the first seven weeks 
of the year. Obviously, they made the uh, trade, and we saw today, um, you know, Joe Flacco, the former Jet, once again coming in here and uh, and you know leading a, a nice drive in, in a blowout. It's garbage time football anyway, as we know right now. But um, you know, in a in a forty-five to ten blowout, he goes out there, runs a nice drive, three for three touchdown. Uh, you know, looks as reliable as he did last year. So you can't take anything away from the former first rounder and former Super Bowl champion Joe Flacco. But you know, things just are not going the Jets' way right now. Obviously, like I said, Mike White burst on the scene a couple weeks ago against the Bengals. He goes out there a thirty-four to thirty-one win. We saw Mike White all over the field in that game, going out there, um, throwing for 400 yards, which, by the way, is the first time a Jets quarterback has done that since Christmas Eve 2000 when Vinny Testaverde did that just about 21 years ago. Um, so that's not something you see very often. Uh, coincidentally, Vinny did that against the uh, Super Bowl champion or the would-be Super Bowl champion, um, uh Baltimore Ravens in that game too and if the Jets had won that game they would have made the playoffs but didn't work out that way the Ravens won that game the Ravens went on to win the Super Bowl that year coincidentally being the Giants in the Super Bowl as well um but you know to get back to this Jets team you know just look at the the ups and downs of the last few weeks right now so we just completed week 10 where week 10 was a 45 to 17 loss the second straight week the Jets have allowed 45 points where they played on Thursday night football against the Indianapolis Colts 10 days ago at this point. Uh, they lost that game 45-30. to 30. It wasn't that close. It really wasn't. The Jets were getting blown out. They had, uh, you know, the funny thing about that game, too, is that it was coming off that 34-31 win we talked about that Mike White engineered, having such a great game, 400 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, he was all over the place in that game, scoring the, the two-point conversion and everything. You know, you're always going to see that Mike White gif of him sitting in the end zone after catching the touchdown from Jamison Crowder. Well, it wasn't touchdown; it was two-point conversion, but same thing at that point. It was just as big, and um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the Jets went out. Their defense was terrible, and we'll get to the defense because the defense has been awful. And Robert Sala should be ashamed of the job that his defense has done so far. But let's really look at this right now. Uh, you have the Jets going out there today under Mike White, 24 of 44, no touchdowns, four interceptions. He looked terrible. But in that game last week, the Jets were down um, 7 nothing right off the bat as the defense, once again, is terrible. Mike White drives them down the field, ties the game up 7-7, Touchdown to Elijah Moore in the corner. Really looked like um, a turning point. Looked like a, a great answer. Even if it, it wasn't going to be all Jets from there on, it looked like you know they had something working in their favor where they're going to be in this game. This is going to be a back-and-forth affair. Well, that wasn't the case. Because after that, um, the <laughs> you know they just had their boot put on their neck by the Indianapolis Colts as they ran the ball down their throat. Um you know, their, their running back ran for over 200 yards against the Jets in that game. Uh, just really, really terrible job by the Jets' defense. One of the worst defensive efforts you could ever put forth. Uh, it was the same thing this week in Week 10 with that loss. You know, they were really bad in the win, too. A 34-31 win. 
Um, Joe Burrow looked mortal in that game. He he looks you know abnormal at other times where the guy looks off the charts. But uh, he had a mortal game in Week Eight against the Jets in their 34-31 loss, and the Jets got away with a lot of you know things that other teams have been making them pay for. Because you got to remember too, that was coming off their Week Seven, um, their their Week Seven 54-13 blowout against the New England Patriots. So they weren't exactly riding high after that game. Um, you know, so look, their their last four games, they're one and three. Uh they've allowed forty plus points three times, uh fifty plus points once. All three games they've allowed thirty thirty one points or more. Um you know, and even the game before that, which was in England before their bye week two weeks earlier, where they had, uh, you know, it was a 27-24 loss to the Atlanta Falcons, and still they allowed 27 points in that game. So this defense has been bad. This defense has been bad all year. This defense does not force turnovers. Um, they have a pretty good defensive line. It looks like the defensive line, um, you know, with, with, with Quinn and Williams and a couple of these other guys, Futoski, and, um, you know, they, they, they got um, a couple of guys that you can like. On that offensive, uh, on that defensive line, and even in the, um, uh, you know, with, with obviously their their linebackers are very good. We, uh, well, one of them is, and C.J. Mosley at least. Um, they they need to get him help. You know, I I I like Jared Davis, who they got from the, the Detroit Lions in the off season, but you haven't seen much of him this year. He's been in and out with injuries and inconsistent play. Um, they the Jets really need to. Upgrade their secondary too. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of Jet fans are keeping an eye on the Seattle Seahawks and how they do because in 2022, the Jets have two first-round picks, their own, obviously, and the second first-round pick that they got for Jamal Adams. So they'll have a chance now to, um, you know, possibly look at their secondary and bring in an elite defender there because they've just been getting picked apart these last few weeks, and part of being an NFL defense and an NFL caliber player is to force turnovers, as we saw in today's game against, you know, the Bills, and really every defense that we see the Jets play. It seems like every defense the Jets play are capable of taking the ball away, even the bad game, even the bad teams. And, you know, the Jets are just not capable of doing that. Through 10 weeks, the Jets have one interception. One. How is that even possible? Sure, they, they, you know, they're, they're able to jar the ball loose and get some fumbles sometimes. They forced a fumble today and didn't, and weren't able to come up with it. Um, but that's few and far between as well. It's not like they're forcing a fumble every week. Um, the Jets really, really have to figure that out and, um, just, they, you know, I don't know if it's their defensive mentality or what. Um, I know Robert Sala really has to get to these guys and really has to, you know. I know also part of it is that the Jets' defense is just not talented enough. That's definitely part of it. Um, you know, maybe they've overperformed at times the last couple of years, which led people to, to think these guys were better than they are. But the fact is that... Uh, you know the secondary. Well, they can keep up with the with guys, and they can do a lot of bend not break. There, there's been a lot more breaking 
lately than bending. And um, the the Jets are just not going to withstand it. Um, in the NFL, you have to force turnovers. You know, you saw today these these Buffalo Bills defenders going after the Jets, not letting them breathe. Even, you know, you, you saw Corey Davis, who all these guys, he had three Bills defenders on him just clawing the ball away. You know, the, the Jets need to get more like that. You, you have to be laser-focused on the football when, when you're playing defense, even if you think the play is over. Still go for, you know, and the the Jets just don't have enough of that, and they don't have enough talent on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, the offense has looked better at times, but don't overrate their offense either. The offensive line is better. You know, Elijah Vera Tucker is uh, very good. Obviously, the you know, Becton is, uh, is you know, they're they're ready to get Becton back and working him back in and everything. And Becton is um, a big part of that line. I like what I see out of Moses. I, you know, I think uh, at right tackle, I think he's been good. But the Jets really need to get, you know, ideally if we could look at the Jets, if we're going to say that um, obviously they're not going after a quarterback, they're not going after a running back in the first round, um, you know, they're pretty deep at receiver now unless there's a guy that's just blowing everybody away that they need to pick, maybe you go that route. But really, I think what the Jets need to do with those two first-round picks is maybe pick up another guard. I mean, unless you address that in free agency. Um, definitely need another linebacker, and, you know, y- you could you could even go both picks secondary if you want. Pick a corner and pick a safety. Um, they're, they're really going to need as much help over there as possible, especially now you see how they get picked apart without Marcus May there. You know, you went from a couple of years ago having, you know, Marcus May and um, Jamal Adams both out there, both in their prime, and then that's not the case anymore. Jamal Adams is gone, uh, Marcus May is hurt, and he's a free agent after this year. So while I think there's a chance he comes back, he's expressed interest in coming back to the Jets, I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but but we'll see. We'll see. You know, it's it's all going to be depending on what the Jets want. I mean, there's going to be a lot of young kids again next year. You're going to hope that the Jets, who are going to have a lot of cap room to spend too, uh, which is a good thing, but you can't address all your problems through cap. The most cost-effective way to win in the NFL, and the easiest way to win in the NFL, uh, it's it's not the easiest to 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 land, you know, home runs on all your picks, but the easiest way to win in the NFL is to draft well. Sounds simple, but if there's one team that makes that not simple, it's the New York Jets, one of the worst drafting teams at least over the last 15 years. I mean, you could probably even look back at the 50 plus year uh, uh history of the NFL draft and I guarantee the Jets would probably be ranked at least one of the top five worst drafting teams. Maybe even top three. They could be top one. It, it could be just the Jets in a league of their own as the worst drafting team ever. But there are a couple other teams out there that, uh, that have a couple of doozies out there as well. So, but, um, the Jets just, it just seems to happen time and time and time and time again. And the Jets would be getting killed a lot more too. For Sam Darnold, if uh, you look at Sam Darnold, how he started off in Carolina, I guess it was partially because it was against the Jets' defense, and the Jets' defense looked terrible. 
But Sam Darnold's been completely exposed as uh, the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. Once again, Bill Belichick haunting that that kid. I feel so bad for Sam Darnold. But, you know, the former number three pick in the 2018 NFL draft who was supposed to be the next big thing for the Jets has not turned out to be that much. The Jets really got a steal when uh, they traded Sam Darnold to the Panthers this offseason before this this year, the 2021 NFL Draft. They traded Sam Darnold to Carolina for a second, fourth, and a sixth. One of the, those picks was this year, two and next year. And uh, that's going to end up looking back, when you look at it, that's a steal for Joe Douglas. Obviously, Sam Darnold, too, was chalked up as a Mike McKagan uh, project, a Mike McKagan deal. That he that he had going out there. He's the former Jets general manager, but now when you look at Joe Douglas, he was able to reap that, which is uh, you know nothing to nothing to sneeze at. It's it's nothing to discount or discredit how Joe Douglas, um, you know, at least got the Carolina Panthers to overvalue Sam Darnold, and um. That's one feather in his cap. Now, does he have a lot of those feathers so far as Jets GM? Probably not. Probably not. But you got to hand it to him. That that was a good one. And um, you know, just to keep going on the Jets. I mean, when you look at here, though, it's it's a shame that they couldn't get anything out of Mike White, who had a bad game today. And um, you know, when you look realistically, the next one, two, three, four, five, six weeks. The next six games the Jets play are all relatively winnable. I mean, I guess you could say week 14 hosting New Orleans. Um, You know, New Orleans is a good team, so to say that's a winnable game might be a bit of a stretch. But I say that only because, A, the future Hall of Famer Drew Brees is not there anymore. So as we've seen, the New Orleans Saints have looked a little more human this year without him. Uh... And it's out. It's an outside game in potentially bad weather in New York in uh, December or late November, whenever Week 14 falls. I'm thinking December. Um, you know, so when when you look at at that those factors, you could say the Jets, if they if they play well, could steal that game. But I mean, even beside that, so week, you know, n- next week, Week 11, they they host Miami. My, my, Miami is. Three and seven, they're not a good team. Sure, they've won a couple of games in a row, but they're also not a good team. So that's a winnable game. We so then you you go to week twelve at Houston, another winnable game. Week thirteen under five hundred team Philly, that's a winnable game at home. Then, like I said, week fourteen at home against New Orleans, winnable for the reasons I just explained. Week fifteen at Miami, now, now you have a chance in a five week span to get two wins against the Dolphins. If you play good enough, if Salah gets this team up, they're two and seven right now. That's terrible, but he's got to be the the captain. He's got to be the guy to lead the charge, the general, to keep these guys believing that there's a reason why you know they should be excited about playing another eight games. Then week sixteen, Jacksonville, they play at home against Jacksonville. Now you get the Trevor Lawrence ball, uh, bowl where the the Jets, the team that 
could have drafted Trevor Lawrence had they won one last game, and the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are coming off a 1-15 season, uh, look bad again this year, although they did beat Buffalo 9-6 to last week, which when you see Buffalo this week putting a hurting on the Jets at 45-17, you say to yourself, how the hell did Jacksonville beat them 9-6? <laughs> but it happened, so, you know, uh, it's uh, it's tough to say. Maybe the Bills were hi- highly motivated because of that. But anyway, then you have Week 17. The Jets are playing at home against Tampa Bay. I'm just going to say that right now. You could probably check that off on the loss side. And then also Week 18 at Buffalo. Probably a big loss. I mean, although you have to remember, too, that's Week 18. It's the extra game they added on this season. Uh, Buffalo probably will have already clinched a playoff spot by then. So there's a chance that that becomes a garbage game, which is what happened a couple of years ago when the, the, the Bills sat all their starters and the Jets got a cheap win at the end of the year, uh, really only hurting themselves in draft position for next year. But um, it, it'll still be nice the rest of this year because now the quote-unquote quarterback controversy was probably mercifully settled this week. Um, I really like Mike White. Um, I wouldn't be upset if Coach Sala and the the coaching staff came out this year, uh, or I'm sorry, this week, and said um, that we, you know what, Mike White is a guy making his third career start. One of those starts, he only played one quarter. So really, it's his second career start that he played the full game. Um, Not even since he got yanked, but at least made it into the fourth quarter at the end. Uh, he, he only missed one drive in this game, so, you know, he attempted 44 passes. Uh, so the guy was in there for a long time, hanging in there, taking a beating from a really good, def- uh, defensive Buffalo Bills team, who, like I just said, they're probably the best defense in football. And they were all over the kid today. The offensive line didn't do good. Um, you know, he let himself down by turning the ball over a bunch. His wide receivers let him down at times by, by making drops. And Corey Davis, you know, fumbling the ball. Um, you know, so there's ups and downs today um, with Mike White. But I would not be upset if they came out and said, Week 11, we're giving Mike White one more shot. Um, obviously, you don't want Joe Flacco to start. Uh, if it's not Mike White, Kyle, uh, Kyle Wilson. I always go to call him Kyle still. Um, Zach Wilson will be in there. Um you know, you, you can't start Flacco or any of these guys. You have to, you know, it's it's actually probably been a good thing for White to sit on the bench for a couple of weeks, uh, watch the game from a different angle, you know, see, see, you know, mistakes that he would have made had he not been watching the game from the bench. Mist- things that he would have done and could have tried to do that could have ended disaster- uh, disastrously that he's seen the not game-seasoned, but the more veteran quarterback Mike White do. And then even to the next level, you know, Joe Flacco, who's a former Super Bowl champ and, uh, you know, all-around well-liked guy coming out last year. I'm surprised the Jets even let him walk in the first place. Um, I really hope that wasn't a money-saving move, but it could have been. <laughs> but, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, but just to, to finish up on the Jets, as we're coming up on our first break, and 
of the night, ladies and gentlemen, as uh, you can also tune in if you missed any of this for the replay at uh, 9 p.m. as they'll be replaying the first hour of uh, Sports Talk New York right here on WGBB. But, you know, just to finish up on the Jets, they have um, really no controversy right now except for the fact that you might just want to run Mike White out there one more time just to see what he does against a team more on your level. And, you know, obviously the Bengals are um, mo- are definitely higher than the Jets. The, when the Bengals lost that game to the Jets in Week 8, um, in, in Mike White's breakout game, they were the best team in the AFC, record-wise. The best. Now, obviously the Jets lost to the, the Bills, who uh, go to... Um, Six and three now, and the Bills are obviously one of the better teams in the NFL, as we know. Um, you know, one of the last teams eliminated last year. Um, a lot of people thought the Bills were going back to the Super Bowl last year, and rightfully so. But um, y- y- you know, I would give Mike White one more game, but it's all up to Coach Sal and these guys. They might have seen enough in this game. Four interceptions from White. Uh, they might have seen enough and said, you know what, Mike, it was great, but your Cinderella story is over. You turned back into a pumpkin, and now we're going to throw the kid back out there, Zach Wilson, and see, and see what we got in him. See, uh, you know, what his deal is. Um, is this kid going to be another Sam Darnold? Or is this kid, you know, just early, young Joe Namath <laughs> that Jet fans have been waiting for for over 50 years um that's a that's a big question um it's it's probably not going to be answered this year uh we're probably going to see some examples of it one way or another but um you know when it comes down to it you just have to you just have to know you have to trust the jets front office jet fans shouldn't but the team should (laughs) trust the front office hope they're making the right decisions and I think that Joe Douglas at least has this team closer to winning than any recent memory GM. Definitely not McKagan, and definitely not Idzik. So, uh, you know, with that, we'll finish up on the Jets. Uh, I'll take my uh, first break of the day. So thanks for sticking around here on this Sunday night, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. We'll be talking about the Mets. We'll be talking about the Yankees and a little hockey as well. So catch you on the other side. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show.
And that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Sports Talk 1240. Um, sorry, Sports Talk New York, right here on WGBB 1240 AM, right here on Long Island. And this is This Day in Sports History. This day in sports history, on November 14, 1964, Gordie Howe scores his record-breaking 627th goal 20 seconds into the game, but his Red Wings would lose that game 4-2. November 14, 1966, Muhammad Ali scores a technical knockout versus Cleveland Williams for the heavyweight title. And on this date, November 14, 1986, the New York Mets just a few weeks removed from their second-ever World Series championship, were purchased officially um, from Doubleday Printing uh, Publishing to Fred Wilpon and Nelson Doubleday. And um, the curse of the Wilpons was put upon the Mets ever since that day. Uh, November 14, 1991, Pittsburgh Steelers guard um, loses his appeal for steroids this was the first case of a nfl player being suspended for steroids uh it went actually all the way to court and came back as he lost it it was suspended for four weeks without pay the first ever player in the nfl suspended for steroids and finally on this date on november 14 1993 uh, Miami Dolphins head coach Don Shula becomes the winningest coach in NFL history with a win over the New York Jets. Um, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is this day in sports history. All right, and welcome back once again to Sports Talk New York. I'm your host, Rob Kramer. And... Um, you know, still a bunch of stuff to get into right now as I see my Rangers have taken a 2-1 to lead over the Jersey Devils tonight. Alexi Lafreniere putting one in. Um, very nice uh, for the Rangers as they continue to play play well, but, you know, they, they're up and down at times. They, um, they really seem to have, you know, I mean, obviously, especially with a new head coach in Gerard Gallant, there, there are a lot of um, different ways that the these guys haven't played the game under him. You know, the obviously everybody knows their job. The defensive guys, you got to keep the puck out of the net. You know, the forwards, you got to put the puck in the net, and the goalie, you got to keep the puck out of the net. So that's obviously that's not going to change. But when you have a brand new head coach in Gerard Gallant, he's installing these new systems and he's trying to un- understand the best ways to communicate with his players, especially most of these guys are young players who are just trying to break it in the, in, in the NHL and, you know, crack that code and stay at this level for a long period of time. Two of these guys are Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere. Now, I've heard a lot of Ranger fans um, including myself at times, grumble about Alexi Lafreniere's playing time. You know, I was just talking about it last night, how uh, it, it really raised an eyebrow to me how Lafreniere only played 9 minutes and 44 seconds in the entire game last night. He had less time on the ice than any other Ranger skater, forward, defenseman, anything. So, you know, it it seems like Gerard Gallant is trying to send a message to him 
Um, this is a guy who was picked number one overall last year, uh, 2020, in October of 2020. I never thought I'd, I'd see an NHL draft take place in October, but COVID brought us to that last year. COVID also strangely gave the Rangers a playoff berth and the number one overall pick, which once again didn't make much sense. But as a Rangers fan, I wasn't complaining. Um, but when you look at, you know, how these guys are changing and adopting th- these new um, styles under Gallant, the way he wants them to play the game, it's going to take time. And you know what? Right now, the Rangers are 8-3-3. Three, three and three. Realistically, when you look at it, it's 8-6. and six. But that means there were only three games this season out of 14 where the Rangers did not record a point. And that is big because just... Getting it to overtime, okay, they have three overtime losses. There were three ugly losses. Um, you know, a couple of those games were losses that they shouldn't have had. They probably should at least have two more points on the board because that game against Edmonton and um, one of those other games out west, they shouldn't have blown. And they should have won that game uh, in regulation, not even overtime. So, you know, they're, it's still a young team. They're still learning. You know, we're still seeing the on and off between, you know, Tenardi coming in sometimes to play defense and Niles Lundqvist coming in to play others. Obviously, the Rangers have, you know, Georgiev in the lineup tonight. But, um, you know, Shesterkin has played the highest percentage of games for the Rangers through their first 13 or 14 games uh, since Henrik Lundqvist did. Uh, you really could go back to... 12-13 during the strike-shortened season when Lundqvist played 42 out of 48 games the whole season, which is just nuts. Uh, no, actually, I'm sorry, it was 43 out of 48. He, he didn't start five games that whole season, which was just crazy. And uh, But it's the highest percentage of for a full season and, and overall in the first 13 games since 2007-2008. So... It's been a long time, even if you include the strike shortened year, since a, a Rangers goalie has started this often, this deep into the season. So they obviously really like what they see out of Shesterkin. I think Georgiev is quickly playing his way out of town. Obviously, he's he's looked pretty good tonight. N- you know, no one's complaining about Georgiev tonight. He's uh he's kept the Rangers in the game. It's two one right now. But um, you know, as for the uh, the Rangers they're just uh, they're really just trying to get kickstarted. They are one of these uh, these young teams that you could go anywhere with this year. You know, um, I I think you wouldn't expect to see the Rangers winning a Stanley Cup <laughs> this year. That might be a bit premature. Um, you know, the the I think the Rangers probably still need to add one one more big piece and then get more progression out of guys like Kako. And Lafreniere, because even though I think Lafreniere has gotten a lot of the ire from um, Gerard Gallant, even though Gallant, you know, hasn't really publicly criticized him, except a couple of weeks ago when he said we need more Adelafi, um, but he really hasn't gone after him in in a uh, you know aggressive way. But I think that uh, you know Alexi Lafreniere has definitely played better than Kako so far, uh, where you know. Lafreniere just scored his fourth goal tonight. He's got five points. Um, he's he's been good at times this year. 
obviously, how much can you do when you're playing nine minutes like you did last night? But um, I, I think overall, Lafreniere has been up and down this year, but more up than than down um, uh, on a scoring front at least. But Capacaco has been kept off the the get the stat sheet, you know, since uh, the, the season began. Obviously, he missed some time. Um, he he was banged up. He had a lower body injury for about a week or two, but he came back. He's he's played in just about ten games now, and he he didn't record a point. His first point until tonight, where he was the the secondary assist on um, Alexi Lafreniere's go ahead goal. So, uh, the Rangers really need. I mean, you know, we're talking about Alexi Lafreniere, the number twenty twenty overall, but the twenty twenty number one overall pick, and how he has. You know, if if you listen to, um, there's another podcast, uh, you know, Vincent Mercagliano, who's a, a really great reporter from the New York Rangers, uh, really gave a, a, a great rundown of all the other comparable players to Alexi Lafreniere from his draft. And he's probably only being outperformed by one other player in his draft. Uh, at least from points perspective and goals perspective. And same thing with Capocaco. While Capocaco has not probably met Rangers fans' expectations to this point, and I, I feel like last year he was also slowed down because he had COVID, and I don't think he, uh, you know, recovered very well from that. Um, I think it, it lingered in his season kind of like it did for, in my opinion, Mika Zibanejad, because if you look at like Mika Zibanejad was a completely different player, but by the time April and and late March rolled around, than he was in January and February after he was battling COVID about a month prior to that. So uh, it it took him a, a real long time to uh, bounce back into the player that really looked like he was on the way to score fifty goals in in the nineteen twenty season. So um, really interesting. With that, um, you know, but uh, but like I said, the Rangers are just hanging in there right now. They're um, it, it's two two right now as Georgiev allowed the tying goal just about the end of the second period. So uh, Dougie Hamilton, really really big off season acquisition from the Devils. The Devils have a really good team. The Devils beat the Islanders the other night for nothing. So you know the Devils aren't a, aren't a joke team anymore. Um, you know they they got Blackwood back there. They have um, you know they they still have PK Subban. They have a very nice team. You know especially even the former number six overall pick Pavel Zaka. Um, he's turned himself into a really good player as well. Uh, the 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 Devils. You know obviously they have the team that the guy too Jack Hughes who was picked before um, uh, Capacaco was in the. In the 2019 draft, so the the Devils have a lot of talent too. So even though they've underperformed a lot the last couple of years, don't discount them because they could be one of those teams that just jumps up and bites you this year. Uh, it would not surprise me one bit to to see the Devils be very competitive. Um, you know, right now one thing you really have to take away from this Rangers game too is that they have 26 shots on goal and they've held the Devils to 16 just about the end of the second period. So um, that's one thing. The, the Rangers have averaged about 25 shots a goal on, you know, 
per game. So to have that heading into the third period is just a really big shot uh, in the arm for the Rangers. As, you know, in the, the last game, too, they had 41 shots on goal, which is well above their their per-game average. And, um, you know, you're just going to have to hope that after, a, you know, you, you had a guy like Panarin stand up last year, uh, last night, score two goals, and take his game, elevate his game and his teammates to another level, you're going to have to hope that for the third period, he stands up and does that tonight again. Um, because Artemi Panarin is a big piece of this Rangers equation. And, um, you know, so far he's got three shots on goal and nothing to show for it tonight. But, uh, you know, Panarin had a real great game last night, so you can't take anything away from Artemi Panarin. Um, you know, just to quickly touch on the Islanders, the, the Islanders, um, obviously coming off back-to-back conference finals losses. One of the better teams in hockey. Um, they, they had a nice little offseason picking up guys like Parisi, uh, you know, adding him to this team and, um, really giving Sorokin an expanded role, at least in the beginning of this season, uh, where, where he really took off and has played extremely well through these early parts of the season. Obviously, we know Varmolov is back now, which is really going to help the Islanders because they had Corey Schneider as their backup for the first couple of weeks of the season, and it really looked like Barry Trotz had zero interest in starting him in any capacity or, or playing him even in any capacity. Um, you know, the, the Islanders right now, uh, they're... You know, you have to give it to the Islanders because so far they've played 11 games. They're 5-4-2, 12 points. They're, you know, at, at this moment, they're at the bottom, points-wise, of the, the Eastern Conference. But if you're an Islander fan, don't be discouraged because look around you. The Ottawa Senators and the Milwaukee, uh, Milwaukee, and the Montreal Canadiens, the two teams right next to you in the standings, they've played 16 and 15 games respectively. The Islanders have played five less games than one of those teams, four less than the other one. Then the other ones, Buffalo has played 14, three more games than the Islanders. Pittsburgh, 13, two more games than the Islanders. You know, the Rangers have played 14, tonight being their 15th game. Uh, so they're going to have four more games than the Islanders tonight. Tampa Bay, Philadelphia, Detroit, you know, all those teams have played more games than the Islanders. The Islanders have played by far the least games in hockey. Um, there's only two other teams have played 12, Colorado and Columbus. Oh, and Boston. Three teams have played 12. But you got to remember, the Islanders so far have not played a home game. They've played 11 games on the road, uh, really, really tough stretch to start this season off. Uh, it's going to be nice for them when later in the year they can just settle in when um, they really are going to be squeezing in a lot of games after the two-week Olympic break, and you're pretty much going to be playing one day on, one day off for the final two months of the season. It'll be nice for the Islanders where they can just settle in at home uh, at the, the brand-new UBS Arena, which is opening a week, you know, a week from yesterday. It's this Saturday now. Saturday night, uh, November 20th, the Islanders open up. Really, this is the first time since 1972 that the Islanders are going to be opening up a brand new building that is specifically built and dedicated 
to the New York Islanders. Now, obviously, we know that the, the ABA Nets played in that building, too. But the Nets were around before the, the, the Coliseum. The Nets played at the, you know, Long Island Gardens. And they, um, you know, were around before this. The, the Islanders' first year, the Islanders christened the Coliseum in 72. And the Islanders will be doing the same thing to the UBS Arena this Saturday night. Uh, it's going to be a really fun night for the Islanders as they're going to be, um, you know, hosting the, the, the Calgary Flames. Um, and they're going to have a chance. You know, the Islanders might be near the bottom of the conference right now in points, but they're going to have plenty of time to make it up. They have a really good points percentage right now, 545, which isn't great, but it's still in that playoff capacity. And... You know, you, you have to just uh, give it to Barry Trotz for having these guys just keep their heads above water. That's all they have to do, just stay competitive. Obviously, they're tired. You know, it's it's been a really long way to start the season. Um, that, that, that's why the NFL, is, uh, the, the, the NHL has been kind of slow-walking the Islanders, making sure that they've played the least games because they know that the Islanders are going to be playing these games until the, you know, UBS Arena is ready to go, which finally will happen this Saturday. And then the night before Thanksgiving is going to be really fun as the Rangers and the Islanders christen that, that game for the first intense meeting of these two rivals. And uh, we're going to, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing how that plays out. Um, you know, so the Islanders have a lot to look forward to. If you're, not, if you're an Islander fan, don't be um, discouraged by what you see. And also, Take this in, in mind, too. I wouldn't be surprised if this year we saw all three local teams in the NHL playoffs. Um, you know, if, if we saw uh, the Devils, Rangers, and Islanders all make it, um, that would be a lot of fun. I think I think that hasn't happened in, in quite a few years, probably at least. Uh, I don't know. It, it at least hasn't happened in five or six years. I think it's been more than that even. Um, but But either way. The uh, the Rangers and the Islanders and the Devils all on good trajectories this season, and I think that our division, the Metropolitan Division, is probably the deepest in the league as well. As for a while, we were the only the only division in the the in the entire conference and league actually where all of our of the teams were 500 or better. So very competitive, very fun, a lot of youth and. Uh, a lot of good vets in there too, so the uh, very deep, deep division. Um, you know, onto that. I as we are rounding the end here, ladies and gentlemen, we got about ten minutes left here in the show, and with that, I want to dedicate a lot of that to talking about the Mets and their uh, GM search and everything. Um, you know, it's been such a weird, weird last year for Met fans. I mean, let's sit back. And think about what we were talking about in early November last year at this time. And no, I'm not talking about the election or anything political. We're talking about the New York Mets. We're talking about the change of ownership that we're, where Steve Cohen came and he was supposed to ride in on this white horse and save Met fans from the clutches of the evil Will Ponds and how the Will Ponds have just tortured Met fans for years and years with this mid-market mentality ever since they were taken down by the Madoffs and 
had to pay off hundreds of millions of dollars in debt and legal fees and everything that goes with that and the and the the loans they've had to take out from Major League Baseball at one point taking out a forty million dollar loan just so they can play uh, you know pay their employees and keep things going. Um, so we're really happy to have that gone and that headache gone. But you know what? You know what they say, uh, mo' money, mo' problems. Because right now, nobody wants to help the Mets, you know? I feel like, I honestly feel like, if Jeff and Fred Wilpon were still the owners of the Mets, I think, I don't know if Milwaukee would let, you know, would have let David Stearns go to the Mets. I feel like it would have been a better possibility, but I feel like Milwaukee wouldn't have let that. But there would have been one of these guys that would have accepted this job. Now, I'm going to start reading these these lists, and I'll tell you one by one what what the deal was. So Theo Epstein was a guy a lot of Met fans were pointing at. Theo Epstein, if you're unfamiliar, was the former general manager of the Chicago Cubs in 2016 when they broke their 108-year curse and won their first World Series championship five years ago since 1908, ending the longest you know drought in Major League history. Um, he was also the general manager of the Boston Red Sox in 2004 when they won their first World Series championship since 1918, ending an 86-year curse on the team. The curse of the Bambino when they traded uh, Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees. So Theo Epstein has gotten two curses off the back. Now, I don't know if a 35-year-old curse uh, with the Mets, the curse of the Wilpons, is uh, enough for Theo Epstein, and apparently it wasn't. Because Theo Epstein and Steve Cohen apparently had a uh, an interview uh, on Zoom or some other face-to-face app type communication where uh, they both mutually agreed that this was probably not the uh, the path or the the job that Theo Epstein wanted at this time. Um, David Stearns, the current president of baseball operations for the Milwaukee Brewers, um, one of the most successful franchises over the last couple of years. Uh, he's had the Brewers in the playoffs for the last three or four years in a row. Um really deep team, great farm system. He has a scouting background. He's only 36 years old, so he's he's not only going to be hired in a high position, he, he's going to grow as he's in this position. Um, you know, and he's got a year left on his deal. Right now, a lot of people are saying that David Stearns is the guy. He's from Queens. He grew up a Mets fan. He interned for the team back in 2008 when he was first breaking into the, the league and and into a baseball operations background. Um, then he, he, he went off to Milwaukee, and he's ascended to this job now. Um, he was the GM. He got promoted to president of baseball ops. And we're, we'll see what's going on. Now, right now, he, you know, J- Joel Sherman for the New York Post just put out an article the other day saying David Stearns is the guy. Next season, the Mets are going uh, to go hard after him. Um, but... That's not certain either because there are there's a possibility that he has a um, vesting option on his contract that 
if something happens this season, now nobody's really sure what that is. Is that winning division title? Is that making the playoffs? Is that winning the World Series? Is that having X amount of guys make the All-Star team? Nobody knows. But if that that option vests, then he'll have another year added to his contract, which means the Mets could be waiting till 2023 to get this guy if they wait. So it's going to it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, you know, David Stern seems to be the man, but there's still a lot of other people in there. I mean, we didn't even talk about Billy Bean yet, who, you know, he, he turned the Mets down. He's uh, still an advisor in Oakland. He's the creator of Moneyball, who the, the movie was made about, who Brad Pitt played. He's been the GM. Uh, he's been involved in that Oakland front office for decades. He was the GM in 1998 that replaced Sandy Alderson after Alderson left. Um and Billy Bean has been promoted to president of baseball ops since then. He's involved with ownership. His family lives there. So he didn't want to displace his young family. And you can't blame the guy for that. So Billy Bean staying out in Oakland. Brian Sabian still involved with uh, the San Francisco front office. He's no longer the GM, but he's an advisor. Um, and he wants to get back into it. Uh, apparently the Mets never even contacted him. And due to sheer frustration... He withdrew his name. So I personally would have loved to see Brian Sabian come to the Mets. I would have loved to see him bring, um, you know, I don't know, it, just his expertise, his his three championships. Um, you know, it, it would have been great to see him here. But uh, that's not going to happen. Also, Milwaukee, Matt Arnold, their GM now. People are talking about him. Nope, that's not happening either as the Brewers denied permission to talk to him. That's that, that's another guy too that I think if the if the Wilpons were were still the owners, he would have been allowed to talk to the the Mets. Uh, Sig Madal from Baltimore, Raquel Ferrara from the Red Sox, Scott Harris also from San Francisco, uh, Dave uh, Daniel Adler from Minnesota, Brandon Gomes from L.A., Mark Shapiro from Toronto. Uh, all these guys have turned the Mets down. Randy Flores from St. Louis, Carlos Rodriguez from the Rays, Ben Sastanovich from uh, from Atlanta, Jeff Lunhow, uh, the disgraced general manager of the Houston Astros. He's out there. People are saying there's a possibility that he gets involved in the peripheral. I don't know if if Wilpon's going to want to piss off Major League Baseball that much this early on in his tenure. So I doubt that happens. But right now, one of the front runners they're saying for the Mets uh, GM is Adam Crummy, who is a former Nationals assistant GM from 2009 to 2017. After 2017, he left baseball, went to law school, and became a lawyer. Believe it or not, that's actually true. Now he's looking to get back into the game. The Mets are talking to him. Now, who knows what's going to happen? Um... You know, there's, there's, the Mets still have a lot on the table. I mean, Michael Conforto rejected their qualifying offer, making him a free agent. Um, I don't, I don't believe he officially has yet, but it's suspected that Noah Syndergaard will be coming back and taking it. I've seen a couple of tweets on uh, his uh, Noah Syndergaard account on Twitter, leading everybody to believe that he's going to accept it. So I believe Syndergaard will be back next year, and it'll be nice to see him go out there. Hopefully, he stays healthy, and they get him for another 30 starts. And hopefully an extension too. Come on, Stevie, pay up. 
You know, we want to keep Noah around, especially if he's pitching well. And, um, you know, the, there's a lot to do now. Now you got to try and bring back Conforto. And if you're not bringing back Conforto, you got to find a suitable way to replace him. Uh, they have to make a couple of, you know, a couple of big acquisitions right now. You can't stay the way they are right now. Um, you know, they, they made a big splash last year in Lindor. Are they going to do something like that again? Are you going to bring Javi Baez back? A lot of people are talking about Chris Bryant. So there's a lot of different ways the Mets could go. And there's still nobody making the call, so we gotta wait for that, first of all. But, uh, I'm gonna be making this call right now, ladies and gentlemen, and I think we're just about done here on this Sunday night on Sports Talk New York. So, thanks for sticking around here with me. Uh, once again, I'm your host, Rob Kramer. You can check me out on Twitter, at Kramer New York. That's Kramer, my last name, NY. You can check us out on Twitter, at, sport, at WGBB Sports Talk. So check out everything we have to offer. You can check us out anywhere you get podcasts as well. So thanks for sticking around with me. Thanks for Rob for putting me on. Thanks for Brian Graves behind the glass, one of the best in the biz. And I'll catch you next time. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.